Oh, it's finally here. In a few short days, I turn 40. Uh, the day I've been dreading has arrived. Next week, I turn 40. And uh, as you guys know, I've been really dreading this. I don't know why. None of the other years ever bothered me. I didn't care. But 40 feels weird. It feels like there's life before 40 and life after 40. And I'm like, I'm about to turn 40 and everything's going to be different. And uh, I started this series that's kind of like open therapy with you guys as I try to figure out what my life is going to look like. I really thought by the time I was 40, life would look different. I thought I'd feel different. I still feel like such a kid who has no idea what I'm doing. I feel like 90% of the time I'm playing at being an adult and I'm like, someone's going to figure out that I'm just a kid dressed up in a human suit and like, I'm not really, I shouldn't really be doing these adult things. Um, this is my midlife point. And I want to spend the last part of my life, the second half of my life, as well as I can. I don't want to waste it. I might have more time behind me than I do in front of me, and that's a somber thought. And so that kind of thinking led me to kick off this series about contentment. How should we be spending our life? What should we really be satisfied with? Because I feel a lot of angst and anxiety and like, man, I should have done more. I should be farther along. I should be, have more to show for it. I should be more, 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 more. Um, so in this series that we've been doing the last few weeks, our working thesis is this. Becoming like Jesus, that is a person of love, and finding contentment are the greatest treasures in your life. That's 1 Timothy 6, 6 in a nutshell, by the way, that the Apostle Paul wrote Timothy. If you spend your life getting those things, doing those things, you have lived a full and meaningful life. And so over the last few weeks, we've been exploring, exploring the practices and philosophies that we need to adopt to become people of love, people like Jesus, and to learn how to be content. We've been looking at different concepts. Anybody remember any of those? Can you even name one? One message from the last few weeks? None. Okay. Um, that's okay. Maybe you'll remember today's. Today's concept is wisdom. The Bible is full of references to wisdom. In fact, it's mentioned over 220 times in the Old Testament alone. But what do we mean when we say wisdom, and why does that have anything to do with becoming a person of love or learning to be content? Wisdom is recognizing the best path of life and choosing it instead of either stumbling blindly into a path of chaos or willfully choosing it. Wisdom involves knowledge, but it's more than just memorizing facts. It is understanding how God orders the world and recognizing how to make decisions in line with his order. Life is really a series of choices. There are choices that led to me being here. Darby and I just celebrated 10 years of marriage uh, last week, and that we were able to celebrate that because I made a choice. I called her up on the phone, and I was like, Darby, hello. And she's like, what? Who is this calling me? I'm like, will you go out on a date with me? And she said yes, and I hung up so before she could change her mind. Um, because I made a decision, because I made a choice, it led to where I am in life. And life is a series of choices. Choices brought me to 40. Choices brought me to marriage. Choices brought to me to being a dad. The choices we make every day will determine the type of person we become in the days ahead. If we want to be people who are content in the future, we need to make choices today. If we want to become people of love like Jesus in the future, we need to make choices today. Making wise choices will mean you become a person of love. Making wise choices today will mean you learn to be content. 
There is chaos in our world that is unavoidable. You can live a perfect life, do everything right, try to have a contingency plan for everything, and there is just some chaos that will follow you. No matter how much um, you exercise and work out, sometimes you will get sick. No matter how much you take care of your car and keep it in good repair, sometimes you'll get a flat tire. There is blessing in this world that applies to everyone, and there is chaos that is unavoidable um, because it applies to everyone. But there is also avoidable chaos in our lives. There are natural consequences of foolish choices, and wisdom is what helps us avoid chaos like that in our lives. Now, I've talked about previously here the big lie of religion. What's the big lie of American religion? Does anybody remember? Okay, you guys are really remembering a lot of things I've said today. This is very encouraging. So um, the big lie of religion is this. If you keep the rules, you will be comfortable, happy, and safe. That's what a lot of religion is telling us. No matter what religion you look at, that's the basic premise. If you keep the rules, you'll be comfortable, happy, and safe. But that's not what Jesus says. First of all, it isn't true because our world is still broken. Until Jesus rules and reigns here, even if you keep all the rules, sometimes bad things will happen to you. What wisdom promises is, if we practice her teachings, we won't avoid all chaos, but we will avoid the self-inflicted chaos that comes from making bad choices. Many times over, uh, I guess it's been almost 15 years now in ministry, people lament to me some terrible situation they're in. They're like, oh my gosh, this is a terrible situation. I can't believe God did this to me. Um, and often, once they begin telling me their story, it isn't that God brought that into their life. It's the natural result of their choices that they slowly made day after day that led to their ruin. Don't be surprised when you smoke every day and develop lung cancer. That's not God doing that to you. That's simply how reality works. Our human nature seems to be we want to behave badly, but we don't want any consequences for it. Believing we can choose a destructive path every day but avoid future destruction is the very definition of foolishness, the opposite of wisdom. Wisdom helps us understand the big picture of our lives, what our purpose is, what we should be doing, what choice we should be making, where we should be focusing our energy and attention and our life. And really, so much of my life, especially as a young person, was spent in doubt, questioning what God wanted me to do with my life. I would read books on the will of God. Honestly, half the Christian book section probably has been funded by me just buying books on the will of God when I was a young person, trying to figure out how to find the will of God, how to figure it out. I listened to countless sermons about it, and honestly, it felt like people kept telling me, God has a will for your life, a very specific will for your life. But I was like, why is he hiding it then? Like, people kept telling me God wanted me to do something, but it seemed like he wouldn't tell me. I was like, if God wants me to do this so bad, why doesn't he tell me? Why is he playing hide-and-go-seek with it? I think we have some broken theology about the will of God for our lives. God does occasionally supernaturally direct us, but it is rare. Darby and I have a story about how God supernaturally directed us to move here. But they're very rare in my story. Much more often, God wants to teach us wisdom so that we know how to choose a right path not force us down the only right path. Often I was so scared to make a wrong decision because some pastor had warned me about getting out of the will of God and how it was a death sentence. When I was a teenager, um, the church I went to had a youth group, 
and it was you would get a bunch of teenagers together, you would get someone usually with uh, barely any seminary training or Bible knowledge up front to give them messages about the Bible. And so you heard all kinds of crazy things that would scar you and later cause you to deconstruct from Christianity. Um, but anyways, I remember one time this youth pastor got up and he said, you know, if you're out of the will of God, it's the most dangerous place to be. And this one girl who I knew, who knew somebody, who knew somebody, you know, you could never chase the story down because it was made up. But he would say, um, she wasn't going to youth group that night where she was supposed to be. She was going to a party, and she had a terrible car accident and died. So you don't want to get out of the will of God and make sure you show up for youth group next week. And I was like, oh my gosh, the will of God is serious stuff. Like, you could have a terrible accident. He didn't mention anything about all the people who have accidents on their way to church or on their way to youth group. No, 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 that, that didn't fit the agenda. He warned us that it wasn't safe outside of God's will. That's really bad theology. First of all, if the will of God took Jesus to the cross, the will of God is not a very safe thing. It could be a good thing, but don't consider it safe. And furthermore, God doesn't want us to be paralyzed while we wait for someone to show us the right path, as if we make one step off it, all of a sudden we're going to come under attack or we're going to have a car accident. He doesn't want us so afraid of making the wrong choice that we end up making no choice. And every one of us are desperately looking for the right direction to head in, right? Whether you're religious or not, we're all constantly asking these questions. Should I take this job? Should I stay in this job? Should I get a new one? Should I start this business? Should I fund this? Should I not fund this? Should we move? Should we stay? Should we marry? Should we divorce? Um, my coworkers are constantly consulting mediums and psychics and horoscopes. Why? Because we all are looking for direction in our life. We want to know which way should we go? Which way is going to lead to flourishing? And which way is going to lead to heartbreak? Which way should I go? According to a data collection agency, the NPD group, um, self-help books have exploded in recent years. From 2013 to 2019, the market grew by 11%. This is just of U.S. sales of self-help books, books that help you figure out what decision you should make, how you should change, and what choices you should make. They sold 18.6 million volumes. Um, the industry of books helping you make decisions or make changes in your life is worth $10.5 billion as of 2020. We're all desperately wanting somebody to tell us what we should be or where we should go or what choice we should make. And so we search for God's will so someone will tell us what to do, but God wants to teach us wisdom so we know how to choose the right thing. And this is where the wisdom books of the Bible come into play. And I'm going to be honest, my American Christian upbringing uh, did a really bad job of teaching me how to use these sections of scripture. Don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for growing up in evangelical churches. They taught me a deep respect for scripture and a keen respect for God. But here's how I was repeatedly told to look at every passage in the Bible. See what command you can obey and see what promise you can complain, uh, what uh, promise you can claim. This is just too simplistic of a frame to bring to every Bible passage. The Bible is much more nuanced. It wants to be read as a whole collective whole. It fits together in one narrative story about Jesus. And when you just bring this simple framework to every passage, you're going to lead to some bad theology. And our worship songs often had messages that sounded good, but theologically didn't make sense as well. We sang songs like, every promise in the book is mine. Anybody ever seen, sing that song? I sang that growing up. And then I got older and I was like, this isn't true. Not every promise in the book is mine. Uh, remember when God promised Abraham, everywhere your feet touch will belong to you and your descendants? 
Start walking around your neighbor's million-dollar house and see if God gives it to you. He won't. It's not yours. Like, that was a promise to Abraham. It's not to you. And so I think that this idea of, um, you know, coming to the Bible wrong is especially misused when it comes to the book of Proverbs. Consider this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's from Proverbs. Verses like this I've seen in churches wielded like weapons to condemn parents whose children leave the faith or grow up wayward or do some kind of act that's shunned or looked down upon. And they're like, you must have not raised up your child, right? Because the Bible promises. Uh, Timothy Keller, who was a pastor in New York City and recently passed away, um, brilliant, brilliant man. I have many of his books on my shelf. He said this, Proverbs is not a book of promises, but a book of observations. In a broken world, doing the right thing, choosing wisdom, won't always have the result you want and the result you deserve by making the right choice. You can raise your child in the way they should go, and they have free will and agency to choose a different path. Wisdom reminds us that doing this is the right thing, the best thing, even if it doesn't always bring the results we hoped it would. Okay, that was a really long introduction today. I'm sorry. But now we have a handle on what wisdom is. So why do we need wisdom to become, to find contentment and become people of love? We are going to look at Paul's letter here, in, or not Paul, sorry. We're going to look at James' letter in James 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such so-called wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you can find disorder in every kind of evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness now james was the half brother of jesus so mary and joseph's other son is james and while paul wrote a lot about the theological implications of jesus being the messiah james wrote a lot about the practical applications of jesus being the messiah and james here is war warning the early christians and us when it comes to how you live your life, there is heavenly wisdom and there is earthly wisdom. There is the path that Jesus said leads to life, and then there is the path that our culture says will lead to the good life we all want. And they are opposite paths, but they promise the same thing, meaningful, full lives. And so it's not just like um, us out here looking for contentment and the meaning of life and how to be a good person and a person of love. Everyone's looking for that. But there's a lot of paths out there that are leading you in the wrong direction. That's what James is saying. And this has been ever since the beginning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, God makes a garden. In the garden, he places a man and a woman. In the center of the garden, he places a choice, the tree of knowing good from bad. Most of our English translations say the tree of knowing good from evil, but the Hebrew word is literally good from bad. It's the tree of being wise, to be able to recognize that's a good path, that's a bad path. This path leads where I want to go. This one will take me in circles. Genesis 3, 6 says, Then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. Um, a lot of times, for a long time, I didn't catch that. The tree in the garden would gain her wisdom. 
She wouldn't have to depend on God's wisdom. Mankind could get wisdom for themselves. They didn't have to wait for the gift. They could take it for themselves. They could define good and bad for themselves. And really, that's the rest of the storyline of the Bible. People who learn and submit to God's wisdom, even when it doesn't seem to work out, <coughs> excuse me, even when it doesn't seem to make sense, and then people who follow their own wisdom because they think it will get them what they really want. And that worldly wisdom, in James's words, never leads to life. It doesn't make us into people of love. Godly wisdom says laying down your life defeats evil. Worldly wisdom says take the life of your enemy. It'll keep you safe. When you make a mistake, worldly wisdom says cover it up. Godly wisdom says be honest. When you have an enemy, worldly wisdom says destroy them before they destroy you. Godly wisdom says love your enemy. And these two approaches to finding the good life, a life of flourishing, meaning, and purpose, wage back and forth on every page of the Bible. Go to any page of the Bible, uh, or any story in the pages of the Bible, and you'll see this. People who are deciding in their own eyes what is right, and people who are trusting the wisdom of God. And this is the same conflict that's in you and in me every single day. How we resolve this conflict day after day will determine who we become. Every day we are making choices to either follow godly wisdom or worldly wisdom, and what we choose will determine who we become, whether we become people of contentment and people of love, or whether we become people who are wrapped in chaos. We make our choices, and then our choices make us. We make choices, and then choices, and then choices, and they become habits, and soon we stop having the ability to choose. We simply become slaves to what we have chosen over and over Starting habits is hard. Anybody try to start a new habit? Darby and I started a diet, and uh, I'm like, why am I doing this? This is miserable. Like, I hate it. I hate new habits. It takes 18 to 250 days to form a new habit. The average is about 66 days. But once it's locked in, changing habits is even harder, right? You start a habit like smoking, uh, try changing that habit. It's hard. Bad decisions, worldly wisdom, um, like when we think this will make me feel good right now who cares about the consequences those decisions will ultimately ruin us and destroy our ability to enjoy what we have and destroy our ability to be loving to the people around us when we make destructive choices the result of that is we become discontent people and not people of love and that's why god forbids sin right not because he's a cosmic party pooper and he's like people are really going to enjoy doing this this and this so i'm going to tell them no no he's not a cosmic party pooper he knows it won't bring the meaning and fulfillment that we're all looking for in life but godly wisdom on the other hand according to james is pure and peace-loving considerate submissive full of mercy and good fruit it's impartial and sincere it's going to turn you into a peacemaker who spreads peace and reaps righteousness everywhere you go. Now, what we have to think about is, most of the things we are hearing every day, we're reading online, or in newspapers, or we're watching on TV, we're reading in books, even some things that we hear in church is going to be worldly wisdom. A presentation on a path through life that claims to get you to a full and meaningful life. Worldly wisdom is often what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. But worldly wisdom leads to decisions in the present that keep you from becoming the person you want to become over a lifetime. So you say, okay, Alex, so how do I get godly wisdom? I don't want worldly wisdom. Honestly, I'm constantly, all day long, we're hearing these things. This is the path to flourishing. Literally, that's marketing, right? Every time an advertisement comes on, 
and you're like, man, I'm feeling kind of sad today. And then someone walks out in a brand new car and they're smiling and they're happy. The advertiser is telling you, buy this new car and you'll be happy. And you're like, yeah, I would be happy, you know, or whatever they're selling. None of those things actually lead to flourishing. So how do we get godly wisdom? First of all, we ask God. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom from God, all you do is have to ask. King Solomon famously was offered anything from God, and he chose wisdom over riches, health, or power, and God was pleased with his choice. God wants us to know and wants us to choose the right choice. He wants us to come to him and receive godly wisdom. So ask him. Um, second, read scripture. If we want to understand how God designed the world to work and us to work in it, we need to understand him and his character. That's why we read scripture. We encounter God through these pages. Reading and studying scripture lets us know how he works in the world. And the wisdom passages of scripture can help us understand how he designed humans to flourish as his image bearers. Number three, reflect on experiences. Much wisdom is learned from mistakes. Some wisdom is learned from success. But much wisdom is learned from our mistakes. Often we want to avoid remembering the painful or difficult mistakes we've made, but we learn wisdom from reflecting on the times that we chose the wrong path and it didn't lead to the fulfillment we hoped for. If you avoid pain, if you just ignore it, you refuse to face the mistakes you made, you'll end up repeating the same path that led to that pain over and over again. Facing and embracing our pain as part of us, as part of our story, teaches us wisdom for the future. Number four, avoid things that taint your wisdom. Now, the Bible never condemns drinking alcohol. In fact, Jesus made alcohol numerous places. It's encouraged in Scripture for celebration. But there are several clear indictments against being drunk because it clouds our ability to see and choose wisdom. Paul famously said, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Make sure God's leading you, not uh, alcohol. Often we want to escape our pain and our anxiety, but when we escape reality— we are also abandoning wisdom because wisdom lives in the real world. Wisdom lives in reality. So get plenty of sleep if you want to make wise decisions. Drink lots of water. Don't get drunk or cloud your senses. Make sure you're healthy and well and fit so that wisdom can work in your body. Get advice from wise people. Number five, Proverbs makes it clear that wisdom lives in the company of many wise people. A single person making decisions rarely makes good decisions. We're built for community. We make our best decisions in community. We rarely reach wisdom alone. Now, if you're looking to ask someone for wisdom, don't ask someone that you see consistently making foolish decisions. Ask people who have a lifetime of making wise choices for their advice. Often the people eager to give advice have little to offer to us. What I found is the wisest people I know rarely want to give me advice. I have to chase them down and ask them. Um, the people who many times want to offer us lots of advice, they're not people who have wisdom to share with us. Often the wise are slow to speak, and we must find them and ask for their opinions. They will help you find wisdom for your decision, and the more you choose wisdom, the clearer she becomes for your next choice. Surround yourself with the wise, and you become wise. Number five, fear God. Proverbs famously sums up wisdom like this. Fearing God is the first step towards becoming wise. This phrase is actually repeated throughout the Bible. And generations of Jewish rabbis and Christian teachers have meditated and debated over what this means. Some are like, it just means respect God. Others are like, no, we need to have a fearful, like we need to realize he is holy and powerful. Angels tremble before him. We need to come in with reverence. There's all kinds of debate about what exactly it means. C.S. Lewis summed up his take on it like this. 
the first kernel of wisdom to start with is to let our dependence and trust in God permeate all our worries of today. God is bigger than your worries. Instead of fearing them, fear him. Number seven, grow old. The last step to gain wisdom is growing old. And guess what? We're automatically doing that one. All these others, you got to put in effort. You don't have to do anything for this one. It's just happening. In our culture, we really fear getting older. Our culture is really built around sex appeal, and getting older means becoming less vibrant and attractive. And so we're like, all of a sudden, I don't matter to culture anymore. But to the ancient Jewish person, they had no qualms about aging. They looked forward to aging because they saw wisdom as a natural byproduct of age. The Torah considers old age a virtue and a blessing. To get old is being blessed. Turning 40 means God is blessing me. Thank you. Throughout the Torah, the Hebrew word zakin is synonymous with wise. It literally means old, but it's synonymous with wise. To be old is to be wise. In their mind, the point of life was to become wise, and getting older was making you wise. And so you could be thankful for getting older because that's exactly why you're alive, in order to get old. Why would you fear or dread getting old? You're alive to get wise, and getting older gets you wise. In the words of an ancient Jewish rabbi, old age is a continuation of the path that a person has chosen throughout their whole life. A person does not change overnight. There's no sudden transition from young to old, from foolish to wise, but rather each person continues along a single path from youth to old age. Preparation for old age should begin while young. Right now, you're preparing for the person you're going to be the rest of your life. So are you choosing godly wisdom or worldly wisdom? Getting old is what you've been working towards your entire life. This is what you'll spend your life on. So choose wisely. Life is a series of choices. Make wise ones. There's no need for me to fear 40 or for you to fear whatever your next birthday is unless we've spent the last years of our life becoming someone of worldly wisdom instead of someone of godly wisdom. Because the more you do that, the more that will solidify in you. And as I reflect on that, as I think of how I've spent my last 40 years of my life, whether I've spent them on worldly wisdom or godly wisdom, I think I can honestly say it's been a mix of both. But I want the next 40 to be spent predominantly choosing God's wisdom, rejecting my own worldly wisdom. I want to trust him and what he says and teaches and commands. And I want to believe that what he offers will bring fulfillment, even when I think something shiny or temporal or immediately pleasurable will instead. Godly wisdom comes down to this. What would Jesus do if he were me in my shoes in this moment of time? What would Jesus do? If Jesus was right where I am in my job, in my neighborhood, in my family, what would he do? What would he say? What would he be like? Wisdom is knowing what he would say or do or think and then doing it like he would as much as I can within my power and ability. A lifetime of choosing that will make us like Jesus In a lifetime of choosing that, you will find contentment, and at the end of your life, you will not say, I've wasted it. You will say, I've spent my life well. Worldly wisdom is saying, what feels good to me right now? What is easiest? What is safest? What makes me look the best or lets me be the most comfortable? A lifetime of choosing that, though, will, in the words of James, make me selfish, ambitious, envious, and make my life full of disorder, and ultimately make me susceptible to every evil practice. 
You can see why Proverbs says wisdom is a principal thing in Proverbs 4, 7, because contentment and becoming people of love flow out of making wise choices. If you don't have wisdom, you will want the wrong things, and if you don't have wisdom, you will choose the wrong things. Both of these will keep us from contentment. Never let us become people of love. We will be selfish, shallow people. I want to end today by reading Paul's admonishment to the church in Ephesus for reflections, and we're done. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians. So be very careful how you live. Don't be unwise, be wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days you're living in are evil. Do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So four reflections as we close. Do you use worldly wisdom when you make a big decision or a small decision? Or do you use godly wisdom? Do you do what feels easiest or what you know Jesus would do in that place? Do you have wise people to consult when things get hard? Find some wise people. There are wise people in your orbit. Look at the people around you who consistently make good decisions and say, hey, can I go to them when I have a decision to make? Maybe I can learn wisdom from them. I have uh, two older men who have pastored a lot longer than me and have just, they've grown a lot closer to Jesus and look and sound a lot more like him than I do. And I go to them and I say, hey, here's the decisions I'm looking at. What would you do? Can you help me think through this? Can you get, share your wisdom with me? Number three, read a proverb each day this month. There's 31 proverbs in the Old Testament. Read a proverb. Remember, these are observations, not rules, but read them. Learn how God has ordered the world to work. And finally, ask God for wisdom. He's a God who wants to grant our requests. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for offering wisdom, for wanting to make us wise, for helping us, wanting us to grow up into full and mature children who can make good decisions. God, forgive me for so many times choosing what I think is right, what works best for me, what is most comfortable for me, what I think will have the best results, instead of saying, what would Jesus do? If he were me, in my shoes, in this place and time, what would he say? What would he do? What would he give up? What would he change? What would he avoid?